Working Class Audio is brought to you by Roswell Pro Audio, Gearsluts.com, The License Lab, Audio-Technica, and Universal Audio. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 189. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 189 you're listening to. My guest today is audio engineer, producer, and musician Lee Bothwick, who is based here in the Bay Area in Oakland, California. And Lee currently works for Green Day, for the Green Day organization. Uh, and I know Lee via Chris Dugan, who's been on the show, who also works for Green Day. And Lee has worked not only with Green Day, but he's also worked uh, in the studio with Sam I Am, Fat Mike from No Effects, Machine Head, uh, Too Short, uh, Kate Nash. Yeah, we're going to sit down for a good chat at the Green Day rehearsal and uh, in an undisclosed location and have a good chat. So uh, Lee Bothwick coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. All right, so you may have heard that um, legendary... Fantasy Studios, located in Berkeley, California, here in the Bay Area, is closing. And that's effective September 15th, 2018. So, uh, a lot of records made there. A lot of records. Uh, Journey's Escape, Green Day's Dookie, Joe Satriani's Flying in a Blue Dream, Santana's Supernatural. Uh, there's That's just like, you know, the quick four I can think of. There's a whole ton of them. They've been in that location since 1971. And uh, here's what I do know, because I know that when stuff like this happens, we're always wondering, you know, what's happening? Is the sky falling? Well, in this particular case, from what I understand, there's a company called Wareham Property Group, and they purchased the studios in uh, around 2007. There was a lot of shift and change then. So... I guess what's happening is is this property company is putting the building up for sale. I don't even think that there's a buyer at this point. So what will happen in the future, nobody knows at this point. Uh, I think, you know, aside from losing a studio, which is always devastating to a community, but and losing, you know, the, the, the history that had come from that building, uh, there's... This is what really gets me. There's five working natural echo chambers of varying sizes and tones in that studio. So let's say worst case scenario, let's say the building gets torn down. To me, that would be absolutely the worst case. Best case, new studio owners come in. With a different direction, different path, who knows. Uh, I'll keep you informed from what I know. I'm, I'm staying in touch with people on the ground in the situation trying to get all the details so yeah fantasy studios closing down want to encourage you to stop on by universal audio's website that's uaudio.com they help make the working class audio podcast possible and they make of course a wide range of tools in the digital and analog domains that help our workflow. So uh, stop on by uaudio.com. Also want to encourage you to stop on by gearsluts.com, specifically the Audio Life subform, because 
we here at Working Class Audio sponsor that. That's right. A lot of the same topics we talk about here on Working Class Audio. And if you're tired of the gear discussion and you just want to talk about all the things that surround our pro audio life, well, there's the place to go. All right. So now I take you to an undisclosed location to have a conversation at the Green Day Rehearsal facility with Lee Bothwick here on the Working Class Audio podcast. Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So we're at an undisclosed location in Emeryville, California, home of uh, Green Day's rehearsal. In fact, we're sitting in the middle of the rehearsal room right now. Yeah. But everybody's out of town. Usually I like to go back. I'd like to actually start with right now just to get my bearings with you Mm -hmm. because I don't know you all that well. Or at all. Yeah, we just, uh, just We just really met in person. So what is your role currently in this organization? It's uh, a little jack of all trades. At this point, I sort of watch over this rehearsal space. Um, I help keep track of gear. We just had the long shot tour. And so I went out with them doing some drum teching and just general sort of help on the road with whatever anyone needed, uh, whether that was... You know, Kevin in front of house sometimes would ask me to help him ring out some monitors or whatever. And then it's also watching over at Otis. Um, you know, if, if Chris is out of town and Billy wants to work, I'll go over there and help him out with some demos. Well, things I thought were demos, like when, when I did that uh, one song for the Long Shot record, I thought we were doing demos. That ended up being a song for the album. Or if, if the swimmers want anything done over at the studio, I'll go. And that's Billy's son, Joey's band go track some stuff, demos, whatever anyone needs, really. If, you know, sometimes you get a call, like uh, we're, we were building a new sort of rehearsal space for those guys down south, so make a trip down there. It's anything and everything. Whatever anybody needs, I'll do it. How did you come to work for the organization? Um, I should say work for Green Day. It sounds like I'm talking about some. Yeah. <laughs> How did you come to work for Green Day? <laughs> um, well, originally what had happened was I had uh, applied for an internship at Studio 880, which is what eventually became Jingletown Recording. And I got an internship there working for John Lucchese, who was the original owner of Studio 880. It was funny because I had only been there a couple months, but after those couple of months, the guy who was the engineer, Brad, got hired to work for Green Day. And then the only other intern that had really been there longer than me moved to Canada. So I ended up getting the only engineering position working for John at Studio 880. And then after about a year of being in Oakland, we moved the studio to a place in Alameda that John was trying to build out at like an old Victorian house. And after about a year of that, I got hit up by uh, Chris Dugan about taking a job with the guys in Green Day. And for the listener, uh, you can go back and listen to Chris's episode can't think of the number right now, but he's on there. But yeah, that, that was pretty much it. I had known Chris through his now his wife, Mari Tanaka. She was the studio manager of Studio 880, and okay. uh, we had become friends. And she and Chris have kind of always looked out for me, which is really amazing. They've been really great to me. And so when this position became open, I got a call and I said, yes, please. Green Day is a big band, obviously. And I'm sure that there's a lot of moving parts to a band of this of this popularity. Right. What does it take to survive in in the Green Day world? I think it's definitely initiative. First of all, it's just making sure that if you're not sure what to do, 
that you have something that you can figure out to do. If you feel like you're unsure of what needs to be done or, or, or you feel like you don't have enough to do, maybe figuring out what you can do to be valuable to somebody. If you feel like, if you feel like you're not being used enough, if you're worried that you're not looking busy enough to just figure out what you can do, how you can fit in, how you can find a place. And then I think another big thing is the team you're working with the people that you're working with. You have everyone's back. Everyone has your back. You all work together. If there's a problem that you can't figure out, maybe on your own, you can ask somebody and you can solve it together, which I think is pretty important. It's not the kind of team, and I I don't know if these exist. They might exist out there with other bands where everyone's looking out just for themselves. Everyone's worried about their own position in the organization. You know, I find that it's really we're all sort of united as a front to try to do the best we can for these guys, which I think is the the only way it works. Serve the band. Yeah, exactly. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about your position necessarily. Don't worry about how you're going to get yours or how you can look out for yourself. Like, you know, if you see someone needs help, then offer to help them and do the best you can as a unit. Interesting. Okay. Well, like for example, I can't imagine what's involved in like, okay, so this rehearsal facility, the acquisition of the building, then once the building's been had, how to build the inside of this building. Right. Like who's making those decisions and making sure that it's meeting a certain criteria? Is there any kind of project management type situation? Sort of. I, I think a lot of that comes down to uh, Chris and Bill. Chris has definitely had experience at this point putting studios together, especially with New Tone and, and taking over Jingletown Studio 880. And I think a lot of that just comes from his experience, from what I saw. Uh, him and Bill just sort of getting together and figuring out how to do it. And then, you know, you hire a contractor and you get the guys who can actually build it. So you talk to a contractor because there's definitely things in this building that required a contractor's knowledge of how to knock down the walls and keep the building still standing. Because <laughs> uh, it's a bit of an, an industrial building. Yeah, exactly. And there were there were more walls in here. I mean, like this this beam right here, I know people can't see it, but you know that was something that had to be engineered and figured out because we took out support beams that were in this room. So you, you hire the right guys to help you out with that. I think those guys had had experience building some other studios too. And it, it sort of becomes like a group effort. <laughs> Tell me about your entrance into audio and where it became something of importance in your life. It goes back a little bit. Uh, I'll try to get through it quickly here, but I played a few different instruments when I was a kid. And ultimately, I settled on guitar. It was not a, like a love affair with the guitar. I would sort of pick it up once in a while. And I had a friend who just was a huge music fan, bigger than I ever was or probably ever will be. He was my best friend at the time. And when it came time to go to high school, he had moved away in uh, about 45 minutes to go to a performing arts school, high school. And I followed him there. And through doing that, I fell in love with playing the guitar. I had to play it. I was there. I had to play it and get better at it. And while I was there, there were a couple guys there. It must have been 10th grade, so maybe the year 2000. These two guys there were making music on their home computers. They had like Fruity Loops. And they would set up a mic and they would record their guitars and do some vocals. And I remember hearing it and thinking like, ah, that sounds really good. They did that at home. That's amazing. 
And I ended up trying to do the same thing just to experiment. I, I found a copy of Fruity Loops and I had some cheap $5 microphone, you know, stick it in front of my guitar amp, uh, use it for vocals. It sounded terrible. Stick it into the sound card, whatever's in the computer. I don't even know what it was. And that was sort of the beginning. And then after that, I invested in a, a Fostex digital multi-track. Um, I had a drum kit in my basement, bass, guitar, you know, sort of demo and try things out. And I hadn't really thought about recording as a thing. Those were just, you know, interests I had had. And I had been working at a nightclub after high school for a couple of years, working as a bouncer and a barback. And one day, I don't know how they got my address. One day I got a letter from Full Sail. And I remember looking at it and thinking like, you can go to school for engineering. You can go to a school where your ultimate direction, your pride, like, what you're trying to do is, is work in a studio full time. I, I just couldn't really wrap my head around that that was a thing you could go do. You could go to a college for that. I did not actually ever look into Full Sail. Um, I was living in Massachusetts at the time. Mm-hmm. I did look into some schools in New York, and I looked at Expression out here in Emeryville. Ultimately, I liked Expression. They offered you know an actual bachelor's degree, and they had like the full kick-ass, cool-looking studios, and um, I ended up going there. And that sort of was the end of it. That was it. That that step led me to where I am now. So I guess I guess going there worked. I think so, yeah. <laughs> well, because now if you look at your website, you know, mm-hmm. you've worked with, like, like the, the first band that comes to mind is Machine Head. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how does one go from that expressions graduate to working with a band like Machine Head. Right. It was a lot of work. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, you know, I hope I'm not going off too much here, but the one thing I noticed ex- at Expression was the people who probably did the best were the ones who really took advantage of the use of the studio time. The people who really put in the time to bring people in and play around in the studios and get sort of comfortable with being in a studio and figuring out the interpersonal relationships of sitting in a room with other people, when to talk, when to not talk, when to give your opinions, when to not give your opinions. Mm. And then once I left the school and I got the internship at Studio 880, I was there as much as I possibly could be. Um, Because I would be doing that and I'd be working at night other places too. But the other interns there just, I remember them giving up their shifts all the time. And so I would be there for my shift from 10 to 5, and then someone would be like, ah... I can't be there tonight. Can you take my shift? And I'd be like, okay, cool. I'll take your shift and I'll be there from 5 p.m. to 3 a.m. And then I'll get up again for my shift, you know, at, at 9 or whenever it is. And then I'll go to work the next that next night where I actually have to go to work. And I, I think it's really just putting in the time and the effort and showing someone you really want to be there. And then ultimately, you make the right connections and the right people hopefully notice you and they let you hang out. What's the balance there of doing these internships, you know, advice for those listening, where, you know, you could definitely, like, give away a lot of your time. Oh, yeah. So uh, where did you find that balance of, hey, man, maybe these people are taking advantage of me, maybe not, or maybe I'm really getting, you know, there's, there's all kinds of questions that come into play here, but... What do you think about the whole thing? Right. That's a tough one. Um, first of all, I had I had some money saved up after school. Not a lot, very little, uh, to the point where I, the internship I was supposed to have was only supposed to last, I think, three months. I think that was, they usually, at, at that point at Studio 80, I think they were like three to four months, and then they'd 
find somebody else and you'd kind of go on your way. And so I was looking at it going, well, at the end of three months, I will have no savings left. So I'm going to take advantage of my time here while I can and just figure it out as I go. (laughs) I had no real plan other than just trying to figure it out and make it work and hoping that through my working hard, maybe something would happen. Um, I do think, you know, that there is a time at which point it's, it's different for everybody, but as an intern, you kind of have to decide, like, can I survive doing this and how long do I want to do it for? And I think that's different for everyone. So what I did when we ended up running Jingletown and we'd have interns is I would really try to give the interns time on their own in the studios if there was nothing going on for them to bring something in. If they wanted to bring in a band and they'd been there for a little while, long enough that I knew I could trust them to not just break stuff, you know, we'd let them bring in bands to make use of their time. So even if they weren't getting paid and they were just getting school credit, they'd at least get something out of it. And then if they really stuck around and they were really trustworthy, we definitely had interns where I would start throwing them sessions, just paid work that they could do, especially if we were double booked. Because I, I was the only engineer. So if there were days where there'd be two sessions going on in the, in the studio, and usually that meant I was engineering one and there was an engineer in another room. But obviously, if you're a visiting engineer, you're probably going to need somebody to walk you through things. So I would give those interns, if I trusted them enough, the paid session to go into the other room and, and walk those dudes through those things. And so I feel like as an intern, y- you'll know. I think you'll know whether or not after a while you're sort of being taken advantage of based on the way someone's treating you. If, if no one's giving you an in after, I, I really feel like if you've been there steadily for a month, and, and no one's really trusting you enough to, to even just do setups, you might want to look around a little bit more, check mm. out. Because I know there are plenty of places that give internships where your job is just answering the phone, you know? And if, if that's not what you want to do, and you know going in that that's probably all you're going to do, maybe look somewhere else. You know, for someone like myself, I've always, I've had a tough time delegating because... Yeah. I just, sometimes it can be faster to do it yourself. And, and also that presence of somebody being there, what would be your advice to, you know, future and current interns right now who might be coming up against a brick wall because they're running into guys or gals like me who really don't want to deal with interns? That's fair. Yeah. I mean, now, like when you don't want to deal with them, is it more like, uh, you just don't have something for them to do all the time, but you want them to be around? Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's, I think it's out of concern that here's this person is putting in this time and I really don't have much for them. And right. at the same time, it's going to take away from my workflow to stop and show them what's going oh, on. Yeah. I would definitely run into that. So interns would start asking questions in the middle of a session and I, the, I just, this is sort of like on the side here, but uh, I would tell them, you know, it's all good if you have questions, but you can't do it while we're working. Maybe just wait when we're eating or breaking down or on a break or at the end of the session, just like write down those questions. And then you can ask them to me when we have a moment, because if you ask me in the middle of working, it's going to be totally distracting. Don't do that. (laughs) But as far as delegating, you know, what I did was I actually made a list through my day, because that building was so big and there was always something that could be done, I literally started making a list of stuff that interns could do that they could just look at. Uh, So if I was in the middle of something, they could hopefully go find something else to do. Now, if we had a session and the band or the artist was okay with them sitting there, 
I was totally fine with them even just sitting there. If they wanted to just sit in the corner and just watch the whole session and not have to do anything at all, and they were okay with that, that was totally fine too. They just couldn't talk, you know? <laughs> no, to- no breathing. <laughs> no breathing, no talking. And, you know, sometimes you'd get the intern who'd start making suggestions, and that's, that's a big no-no. That's the kiss of death <laughs> that's, right don't, there. Don't do that. <laughs> don't make suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> I had a session one time. I had an assistant. <clears throat> or an intern there. And the intern starts going, he interjects in the middle of everything oh, and says, man. well, you know, at recording school, I learned that. Oh. And I was like, yeah, that's great, man. Can you go take care of that? That's exactly what's going to happen, right? Someone's going to look at you. And if they don't just completely shut you down, which I mean, I've, I've seen some cold shutdowns from engineers, then what you're going to be told is to go somewhere else and do something insignificant. Go, go change the light bulb and leave me alone. <laughs> Interesting. So studio owners, that's your point about making a list of things. Yeah, I found that super useful because then that was also a good test for the intern because if they started coming up to me going, what can I do? I would just look at them and be like, you know, you have a list, right? Like we've gone over this. You've got this list. Maybe you just look at that. And, And then I'd walk around and at the end of the day and I'd look at stuff and I'd go, so did you do stuff on that list? And and I'd get a, yeah. And then I'd look around and I'd go, I don't think so, man. <laughs> like it, it gave you sort of like a, a little check system for yourself to sort of see how much attention they were paying to the things you asked them to do, maybe not actively, but it was a thing that they could go out and do on their own to show sort of their interest and desire to be there. Um, yeah. I, I can't remember where this stems from, and I'm pulling this information either from a movie or from somebody's story, but something to the effect of getting somebody to clean a bathroom and the level of detail of which they clean the bathroom Absolutely. will tell you everything <laughs> about how they take the lunch order, Yep. how they deal with other bigger responsibilities. Absolutely. You think there's truth to that? Yeah, I do. You know, it's funny. It sort of reminds me of like, right, Karate Kid, wax on, wax off. Yeah. He's like, I don't get it. And then at the end, he's like, oh, wax on, wax off. I'm, I get it. Okay. It integrates directly into what you're showing me. The other funny thing about that was you'd get interns who would be upset about it. And I would just look at them and go, you realize like, we're not always stocked with interns. And on the days we don't have interns, do you know who's cleaning the toilet? I'm cleaning the toilet. You're not doing something I myself wouldn't do if I, if I didn't have to do it. Like, I'm not ever going to ask you to do something that's beneath me right. is the way I would look at it. So I just think there are some interns out there that just need to realize it's not a personal attack. No, one, no one's trying to bring you down or disparage you in any way. It's just what we all do. We've all right. done it, and we would all still do it if we had to. I mean, it's just the way it is. It is a little bit of a test, but it's not like, you know, you're entering the military and they're trying to break your exactly. spirit exactly. and, and rebuild you as a soldier. Exactly. I'm not trying to, to program anything into you that is going to change who you are. I'm, I'm just trying to get you to be a part of the team here. Right. And we're all on the same page. Do you have any advice for best ways for interns to survive financially when trying to maintain an internship? So we're in the Bay Area, which has to be one of the hardest places, even with a, with a full-time you know, good paying job. It's expensive to live here. It is. Um, my advice is, is small things like you know, if you do want to go to college, if you want to go to school, some sort of a school program, um, especially one that's, you know, going to give you a degree, like an expression or a full sale, my first advice, just in the long term, to save money, get your gen ed at a community college. You know, don't 
spend tons of money taking gen ed at an expression or some other large financial institution that's going to charge you way too much money for gen eds. Uh, Take the cheap way, go to community college, and then bring those credits over. The other thing was, even when I started working at Studio 880, um, and I would do a day shift there uh, as an engineer from like nine to five, I had a night job still. I worked at um, Bay Area Sound Studios up in San Rafael, which is now Temel Pass Research Institute. Right. So what I would do is I would work at Studio 880 from, yeah, like nine to five. And then at five o'clock sharp on, I think, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I would leave to go through Bay Area rush hour traffic up to San Rafael for my six o'clock shift. Across the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, it was crazy. The fact that I made it there in an hour regularly is impressive to me. Um, it's a pretty far drive when you're in traffic. Oh, actually, if you were at Studio 880, you were yeah. in Oakland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you take the Richmond-San Rafael Bridge? I did. That's okay. right. Yes, I took the Richmond-San Rafael Bridge. Uh, and I would be there from 6 to, I think, 11 o'clock at night. And then I would, you know, drive back home to Oakland and get up the next morning and do my shift to Studio 880. And then I also worked the weekends. So I worked Saturday and Sunday in San Rafael. So there was a strong period in my life there where I really didn't have a day off and I was working two shifts three days a week. And it's brutal, but if you want to do it, sometimes the only way is to just work and work and work and do it while you're young. <laughs> you know, speaking of which, when, when, you're, when you are young, say in your 20s and you're trying to make decisions about where it is you could possibly go in the audio industry. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, we get a hold of, of a nugget of, 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 a, of an opportunity that will take us, that we think is, well, yeah. I better take this because this might take me somewhere. But it's, it's quite easy, I think, to overlook other potential opportunities. Absolutely. Were there any opportunities you think that you may have missed out on because of making certain decisions? I remember... W- One, in the very beginning, and it wasn't necessarily a missed opportunity. The one big thing I remember Expression doing for me was when I was graduating, I went to their, like, you know, their outreach program, their placement program, and the the person that was the head there called Larrabee while I was sitting in her room. She called, like, the manager at Larrabee uh, down in L.A., and she got them on the phone, and she's like, oh, yeah, I have a student here, you know, really good student. Uh, I graduated with honors, like, you know, worked really hard. Do you have a job? And the person on the other line, uh, I guess the manager, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we do. We actually need someone to start as a runner. And, you know, I can promise you that as soon as possible from that runner position would become like a paid sort of position, not as an assistant. They had some other in between, between like just being a runner and and an assistant. I don't remember how it worked, but I remember thinking, oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, totally. I, I will. I will talk to this person. That would be great. And then I went away. It was like on a Friday. And I went away Saturday and Sunday to the blues festival they have in Monterey. Mm -hmm. I was helping an instructor there. And I didn't have phone signal. So I got back Sunday night to a flurry of voicemails that were just going, hey, where are you from this person at Larrabee? We really need you to to be here. Like, I want to say it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday that week. They were like, yeah, uh, you said you could, you could take this gig, right? So we really need you to call us back. Like we were looking to fill it. You got to be down here. And I just remember going, oh, there's, there's been a miscommunication. (laughs) I can't, I can't move all my stuff and be down there in two or three days. I'm really sorry. Like, so, I mean, there's opportunities like those, I guess, where if you really want to hustle, you can have them. That might have been a missed opportunity. I have no idea where that would have led, but there is just no way I could have gotten down there that fast and just uprooted everything. It's frustrating being when you when you get older and you see 
from with 2020 hindsight, you see how these opportunities can be not manipulated, but uh, how these opportunities can be truly, truly taken advantage of in the best possible way and how you one could be prepared. But at the time, you just, you don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, you know, we have pros and, and, and you know, new, newbies alike listen to this show. And I wish that, um, I, I hope this advice that you're giving out and that we're talking about really can help somebody kind of think through that that process. It seems that if you're in your early 20s and the more flexible you can be with, you know, if you can be nimble, not have a lot of crap in your, yeah. not have a lot of physical possessions in your life. Yes. So if somebody says, hey man, can you move down here? Absolutely. You could be like, you know what? Absolutely. I'll take my laptop, my backpack or my duffel bag. I'll be down there tomorrow. Dude, if you can do that, I think there's far more opportunities. I mean, if if you can move on a dime, uh-huh. you're you're probably in a pretty good position. Now, it also means like not a lot of personal connections tying you down or if you're in a relationship, someone who's very understanding <laughs> of what you're trying to do. But if you can move around like that, I think there's far more opportunities for someone like that, probably. Yeah, it's interesting when we talk about stuff like this, phrases that people have mentioned to me over the years, um, one of my older brothers in particular, I remember when I was in my 20s, him constantly hammering me with the the decisions you make today will affect what you do tomorrow. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but it's amazing. I mean, you decide to go meet, you know, a potential significant other that can take you down one path. You decide to take a job at, uh, you know, wherever opportunity opens up, a bank, a convenience store, wherever, that can lead you down a whole separate path. Absolutely. I literally, I can, I always pinpoint the reason I'm here as that guy that I followed to that performing arts high school. Because I always go, man, if I didn't go to that performing arts high school, if I didn't really get into playing music and and getting into that world, there's no way I'd be here. Yeah. For me, that was like my big fork in the road where I look back and I just go, that's the trajectory that sent me to where I'm standing right now. The big one. Obviously, there's a bunch of little ones in between. But from yeah, for me, that was the big one. Shout out to our friends over at Roswell Pro Audio who helped make the Working Class Audio podcast possible. Recently had the pleasure of using their Mini K47 mic, which is priced at $299 on a Marshall cabinet. And I got to tell you, it sounded absolutely amazing. And that's going to be part of my setup from here on out. So if you want to check it out, go over to roswellproaudio.com and they do offer free shipping. But if you really want to help our cause with them, make sure on the checkout when you're buying a mic that you include the code WCA free ship. And that way they know that you came from us and you heard about Roswell Pro Audio from Working Class Audio. So there it is. Check it out. roswellproaudio.com. Well, fast forwarding to where we're at today, how do you balance making records? I assume that making records is still a primary Yeah, it's not quite as much as it used to be. I still do it. I I will get messages from bands I've worked with in the past who want to make records, and that's awesome. I'm not against it. Uh, I'm at a place in my life where I'm trying to balance. You know, I do this full time, and then if I do records, it's on the weekends or at night. And so I love doing it, but I do try to figure that out as I get older. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, 
I'm only 34. I'm not, I'm not like super old or anything, but I do think that when you're in your early thirties in particular, at this point, you try to start figuring out what the rest of your life looks like. And so I I take a look at it and I go, what do I want in my life? You know, at some point in the future of family, marriage, that kind of stuff. And then you go, well, I'm doing this full time. I do like doing the records and it, it helps bring in some extra cash, but I still then want to figure out how to make space for that other thing that I'm looking forward to in my future so that I have room for it built in sort of. Right. So yeah, I do. I do still really like doing records. The other thing is that I like to write music too, and I like to make music. So then I also have to set aside time for myself on weekends to do that. So it's sort of like a balancing act of three things with a fourth in the future in my mind with me being able to work on my own stuff, me working on other people's stuff, and then me working here for these guys full time. Working for for Green Day, this is a job. And like any job, we seek to progress in the organization and we see positions and, and opportunities that sometimes we don't get or sometimes we do get. You're so close to something that is huge mm-hmm. in the world of entertainment, being the band. The opportunity to work for the band in that capacity as a record maker, yeah, I'm sure exists. Oh yeah, on yeah, your yeah. mind daily. Yeah, I mean, Chris is the main guy. He he's been their guy forever. Chris is probably the best guy for that job that I can think of. He just knows them so well. And when I did the the song for the Long Shot record, you know, he had a family vacation planned in advance, and Billy doesn't stop, you know? So he he took off and, you know, the, the first day he was gone, I got a text from Billy and it was, hey, let's go do some stuff at the studio. And, you know, okay, great. That's fun. And I, I love being there to help out and do that stuff. While the position I'm in sort of changes based upon the needs of what's going on, I feel like I'm really well taken care of by these guys. And I love just getting any of the opportunities I get. And if more come along, that's awesome. Uh, I know there will be more, so I don't. I don't actually think about it too much. I guess. Do you have a home studio? Uh, I actually have a room um, in the old Jingletown building. The guys who bought it still sort of have studios set up over there, and and there's one larger production office in the front that has sort of like an ISO booth attached to it, and I rent that from them. And so I've got like a studio set up in there. And what's that? Is that based around a Pro Tools rig? And yeah, I've got uh, like one of the Mac trash cans with um, uh, what are those? The the uh, UAD eights Apollo. Uh, yeah, eight, the eight P. The eight P. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then like a little satellite, you know. And um, I've got some the ribbon speakers. Oh, who makes those? Adams. Yes, thank you. Funny enough, a, a client a long time ago left those Adams. At Studio 880, like six years ago, I think. And they, they were from LA and they left these Adams thinking they would be back to do more sessions and they never came back. We reached out to them many times over the years. And after a while I went, I'm just storing these. They have to become functional. These are my speakers now. It's been way too long. They haven't taken them back. Not until they hear this podcast. I know, right? <laughs> and then they'll be like, oh yeah, the speakers. And I'll, it's all right. We'll, we'll make it okay. I'll just charge you the, the storage fee of the cost of the speakers and <laughs> it'll all be good. It's been like six years. Do you ever worry that staying in this position pigeonholes you at all or or traps you at all? Again, I'm, I'm having a great time. And as long as these guys want me around, I'll stick around. I've hopefully made enough connections and done enough work that if this ever went away, 
I would have some sort of a network to pull from to figure something else out. It definitely does not lend itself necessarily to the credit of, you know, if you're looking for a new studio gig, it's a little harder to compete there, I feel like, because you've got the name behind you, which is cool. And I've worked on some really big records, but I don't necessarily have the same amount of credit in numbers as someone who's doing it nonstop. I could see it definitely being perhaps a hindrance depending on what I want to do. But uh, again, I think I've, I've got enough friends, hopefully, mm-hmm. in the industry at this point where there'd be a place for me to land. That also brings attention to the concept of complacency within something so you know, yeah. this is a sweet gig you've got. It seems. Yeah. So it's easy just to kind of kick back and go, Hey, life is great. Absolutely. And not look for the, look at the future and think oh, this could all end. Absolutely. You and know? that, that is definitely, I think for, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I do think that people that work here and in these situations, you always have to have that in the back of your mind. Like when we had Jingle Town, I remember thinking, you know, after a few years, I was like, this has been cool. This could end. This place could go away. I had sort of planned for that in my mind, not really sure where I would go after. And then once we decided we were getting rid of the building, you know, it, it really was like a, I was looking around going, I think I only have a few months left. Uh, you know, is anything open? Start talking to people. But then those few months after we started moving things, it just kept extending and extending. And here I am now, I, I want to say this probably moved here a year and a half, two years ago. It's been a while and it just kept extending. And now I'm at this point where I go like, oh, this is a different job. I get it. <laughs> this is a new position. <laughs> so, you know, it, it worked out where I was looking to the future and luckily this kind of like kept going and I just all of a sudden kind of fell into a new gig. But I definitely, for me and I, anyone listening, I recommend that if you work in this industry, you keep in mind that any gig you have, there's no guarantee on it and it could end. So do you recommend always expanding your network of of friends and acquaintances and, and yeah. associates or whatever? I think that stuff's good. It, and it's funny, I'm, I feel like a, a fraud giving that advice because I am the worst at networking. Yeah. Uh, I am not I'm not a very good socializer. I'm not very good at small talk. I'm not, like, I'll, I'll go to a mixer somewhere and I will totally sit in a corner until I see someone I know. You know, I'm not, I'm not that guy. So I think for myself and everyone, getting better at that skill mm-hmm. is incredibly important. That ability to go up and meet new people and talk to them and get them to know who you are and maybe why they should know you. And, you know, like... Yeah. Are you an introvert? <laughs> I am. Oh, yeah. If I go... If I go to any sort of a mixer um, and start talking, especially to people I don't know, and this is not I'm not trying to insult anyone, I get tired really, really quickly. Like, like with small, you know, just making the small talk that you make, I will usually bring like my girlfriend and she's very good at, at sticking it out with me. And, and there's always a point where I go like, I think I'm done. I think I'm pretty tired. Uh, just mentally fatigued and I start feeling physically fatigued. It's it's yeah. a weird thing. If you're not an introvert, if you're an extrovert and you sort of become empowered from talking to people, oh yeah, that's amazing. My wife's an introvert and if she could just sit at home with a book and a glass yeah. of wine and not talk to anybody, yeah. she'd be so happy. It's, it's the funniest thing. Are you more of an extrovert? Uh, totally. Yeah, it's the funniest thing. If you're an introvert and you go out and you go into those situations, it doesn't take long before you just go like, I'm ready to go to bed. 
I really feel tired. I don't know why, but I'm so tired right now. And I can't really think like, so I, I think for me and other introverts, it is, it's hard, but it's a really important skill to hmm. try to figure out how to talk to people and engage with them without bailing too, too fast. But you could still be an introvert and, and, and make those, those industry connections yep. so that if you're if your gig does come to an end, you could call some people up and say, hey, man, I am putting out feelers. My gig ended. Yes. The reason we're, I, I'm kind of staying on this topic with you is because this speaks a lot to something we don't really talk about too much on the podcast. And I think a lot of people overlook in our industry, in the audio industry, yeah. is that you know maybe it's your dream to be mixing or recording records for a living and you take a side path and you wind up in a different area. That's okay. Yes, to work for a band, to work for a manufacturer, uh, to work as you know a, a sales rep or whatever. Absolutely. You know, it's. I think. Well, I think you might agree with me, and I think a lot of my listeners out there would agree that you know you could go do another job for an industry that you really don't have a passion for. Absolutely. And it can be a drag. I'm sure not every day is a great day for you. Sure, sure. Just as it is. Same for me. Not every day is a great day, but it's. The worst day in an industry you like is better than the best day oh, in an industry you don't like. Absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking, like, there's a lot of people in my class from Expression who didn't even end up in audio, and they're happy. And so I look at it and I go, it's not, it's not failure. You know, if this is the path you took to find the thing you enjoy doing, then that's awesome. I mean, whatever gets you to where you're happy is what matters. So if your dream was to make records, but along the way you go sort of this side route to something like manufacturing or maybe working for a company that that produces audio gear like and you're happy you're still in the industry and you're doing something you love it might not have been your original goal it doesn't matter i mean as long as you're you're feeling good about where you are it's not a failure to me of any kind Hey, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Audio-Technica. They help make the working class audio podcast possible. You can find them at audio-technica.com. They, of course, offer headphones, microphones, turntables, turntable cartridges, as well as many accessories that you might need, like headphone replacement cables and headphone pads. The great thing is, is there's no hesitation required. If you see something you like, you can buy it right there on the website. So check them out, audio-technica.com. And thanks for supporting our friends at AT. What is your financial advice and or approach for yourself? That what What's working for you and what could you pass on to others in terms of how you run your life? So there have been times in my life, uh, obviously when I was working multiple jobs, where it was just all about being as frugal as humanly possible, which was tough because obviously spending money on gas and tolls to travel back and forth was quite a bit of money. In the Bay Area, roommates, get roommates, <laughs> help help save on rent for sure. I lived in a warehouse for a while too. I mean, there's a lot of them out here. It wasn't an amazing experience in terms of the very small room I had, but the rent was really cheap. And sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. If you, if you really want to stick in an industry, especially in a location that's very expensive and in an industry where there's not really tons of opportunity and it, it might not pay you the crazy amount of money you're looking for, at least to start, 
maybe never. You really have to think about your priorities as far as what's important to you. So if looking forward to the future and things like a family are important to you, then you just kind of have to figure out what you need in your life and what you don't. If it's time to start saving money and putting money away, then I don't, do you, do you need a new guitar amp this year? You know, it's 500 bucks and I get it. 500 bucks maybe isn't a ton of money, but you save that and every other sort of purchase you don't necessarily need to make and it'll help every little bit, you know, like, like your parents say, like every little bit helps. My mom used to say that all the time. And it's totally true. It, it, it's hard to see in the short term, but in the long term, it's a big benefit. So just being aware of what you really need and what you really don't need. Do you, you know, and if you're looking for apartments, do you, do you really need a bigger apartment? Can you live in like a, a you know, quote unquote, worse neighborhood where the rent's cheaper? Maybe the crime's a little higher. Uh, if you can put up with those things, I think that's your best bet if you're trying to save money. If you just want to live by the seat of your pants and put everything on credit cards, that's that's cool too. I mean, I don't recommend that, but <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. And you said it, it's it's really all about f- asking yourself, what is it that you need yeah. to make yourself minimally comfortable? Absolutely. It's been great to chat with you and I appreciate you having me here to the Green Day rehearsal. And uh, Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Oh, love chatting with you. So thank you so much for being on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, Lee. Lee Bothwick here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for being with me today. Just a reminder to stop by our sponsors' websites because they do help make the Working Class Audio Podcast possible. I'm talking about Audio Technica, Universal Audio, Gearslets.com, The License Lab, and Roswell Pro Audio. And we got to thank Mr. Cliff Truesdell, Mr. Chuck Smith, And I want to thank you for tuning in week after week. As I always say, please tell all your friends, tell all your family, and visit us at workingclassaudio.com. Until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.